The wicked have set a snare for me, but I have not strayed from your precepts. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. Good deal. Thank you. All right, and we've got uh, a couple of prayer requests. And uh, hey, uh, Rick, yeah. one of these is for you here, just so you know. Okay, um, let's see here, a couple things. I got an email from Maya a minute ago. I haven't even had a chance to respond. And this is, uh, uh, let's see here, what was that? Uh, okay, um, Maya over in the Czech Republic says that a gunman killed 15 people at a university in Prague, another 24 were injured, and the gunman was found dead. Okay, and the student was from a village near Prague and his father was found dead earlier on Thursday. Um, it was at Charles University and they don't think it was a terrorist incident, but she's asking for prayers for the people involved in that because that's sure. really horrifying. Yep. He, said he, fell off the roof. he fell off after he shot him? Oh, uh, maybe he jumped, I don't yeah, know. Maybe he did. Wow, terrible. Um, and then uh, uh, Becky, who we've been praying for for a couple other issues, was getting better and then she uh, stepped wrong and broke her ankle so she's really gone through a bad patch this year and uh, now uh, in addition to the ankle I think something happened and she's got an infection on top of that so she needs to stop competing with uh, yeah exactly if you're in, she's in competition with Jim here so Becky we we have in our prayers um, and I got a report from Remy about the people that helped with the uh, sanitary facility and some other things. She wanted to give a report on what she's been doing. We provided 200 packs of food, biscuits, and water to distressed students. That was after the uh, shooting at the uh, university, right outside, or shooting terrorist bombing, right right by her house. And they sent him towels and all kinds of other stuff. Um, uh, she took care of the girl that uh, is living with her uh, for her school party. She's the young girl that got raped, and. Um, uh, we visited a slum area and provided some food for them, and both for their soul and for their uh, stomachs, and the kids as well. And then uh, she did allocate the money for the uh, sanitary facility. She gave $2,000 to a leader there to facilitate the process and permit for the facility. And once the permit is done, then they can build it for these people. And uh, let's see here, a child whose mother is in prison came to me and uh, requested Christmas presents and so she took care of that and uh, uh, so anyway um, she said the families of uh, uh, the families over there or the uh, inmates in prisons there are just very bad conditions so she gave a, a report and just wanted people to know what she's been up to um, and then um, I got a prayer request uh, for Danielle and I can't even imagine this one she's got a massive slow growing uh, by a portion of her brain that controls the right side of her body and speech. Uh, her options right now are surgery followed by chemo and radiation, uh, get second opinions and possible trial options, or wait a few months and get another MRI to see what it looks like. But with the surgery, I can have temporary or even permanent paralysis on the right side of my body as well as lose my speech. If we wait, I can have irreversible damage to those same areas because I let the tumor grow. They don't know what to do, and she's asking for prayers for that, and I, I can't even imagine going through that right now. Um, she says she's definitely going to have surgery at some point, but um, 
Oh boy, Heavenly Father, we lift these people up and all of the situations just mentioned. And Lord, we also thank you for Remy's diligence over in the Philippines, catering to those people and uh, the many needs that she's constantly helping people fulfill or fill, meet. And uh, Lord, we're just very grateful to you that uh, we can come to you and pray for these people. And we know that you hear, we know that you will respond according to your wisdom. And we don't need to worry if... Uh, uh, what is being asked of you is out of your control. It is not. And we just leave those things in your capable hands, knowing that you will do far more than we could ever imagine. And uh, be glorified through whatever you do for these people, Lord God. And uh, we thank you for this class. Thank you for your word. It's so wonderful to be able to just share in your word. And we thank you above all for Jesus, who was revealed in it. We pray this in his beautiful name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> okay, then we have... Uh, you what? Oh. Oh, I, I, oh, I didn't. Uh, oh, you, they've been here for a while, apparently. Yeah. Um, you had a prayer request for somebody. I forgot that. Who was that? Greg, was it? Roger and his wife, Stacy. That's right. And what was the situation? You told me this earlier. That's right. Stage four lung, bone, and liver cancer. And she didn't even know it. She had pain in her hip that wouldn't go away. And she went in. So she kept going to a chiropractor. Yeah, chiropractor. Never smoked, never drank. Yeah. So we want to, her name is what? Stacy. Stacy. We want to keep Stacy in prayer and Roger, her husband, for that. I just, you got a problem here and you think, I'm just going to go finally get it checked out because the chiropractor isn't working and you got, you know, cancer throughout your whole body. So we, please keep them in prayer as well. Uh, we got December 21st from this, which is on this day in Christian history. It says, when Hernando Cortez and the other Spanish explorers led conquistadors against the Aztec and Inca Im empires, <clears throat> their goal was to claim land, seize gold, and share the faith. Sounds like in that order at best, too. Um, in the name, is there a problem with the sound? They can hear you. Just oh, okay. A little bit. Yeah. In the name of Christ, thousands were slaughtered and enslaved. I read one account where one of the Aztec or Incan uh, bigwigs wouldn't convert to Christ, and so they strangled him, and then they, they baptized him and strangled him. That was their answer to <laughs> converting that guy. So, you know, the Catholic Church and its history of abuses is simply unbelievable. Um, okay, so... Uh, uh, let's see here. Entire civilizations perished. Some of the conquistadors sincerely believed they were expanding the faith. Gunpowder against Indians is incense to the Lord, said one of them. But it is important to know that many voices in the church rose in righteous, angry opposition. On December 21st, 1511, Antonio de Montesinos stood before his church in Hispaniola with fire on his lips. He says, I have climbed to this pulpit to let you know of your sins, for I am the voice of Christ crying in the desert of this island, and you must not listen to me indifferently. You are in mortal sin. You are, you not only are in it, but live in it and die in it because of the cruelty and tyranny you bring to bear on these innocent people. By what right do you wage your odious wars on people who dwelt in quiet and peace on their own islands? Why do you oppress and exploit them without even giving them enough to eat? They die, or rather you kill them, so that you may extract more and more gold every day. 
Are they not human? Have they no souls? Are you not required to love them as you love yourselves? How can you remain in such profound lethargy? I assure you, in your present state, you can no more be saved than Moors or Turks who reject the faith of Jesus Christ. His audience was stunned, and his words leapt the oceans, leaped the oceans. I don't know which it is. In uh, Spain, a furious King Ferdinand told Christopher Columbus, I have seen the sermon, and although he was always a scandalous preacher, I am much surprised by what he said, which has no basis in theology or law. Huh. Turn to Jesus and stop killing people for the sake of gold. Huh. Montesinos refused orders to retract his statements, and increasing numbers joined him in reminding the world that not everything done in the name of Christianity is of Christ. I command you to preach God's message. Do it willingly. Even if it isn't the popular thing to do, you must correct people and point out their sins. 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. So, uh, a lone voice or a very rare voice in the uh, Roman Catholic Church. Let's see here. Uh, got all the, Okay, I think that's everything. And I got some mail. Sergio and Rhoda ever show up. I have some mail for them right here. Oh, oh Sergio, there you are. Um, let's see here. We are in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Verse 7. Yeah, verse Boy, 7. We were tearing it up last week. So I'm going to start off where we started off last week because I haven't read it. But we have uh, confidence in the Lord. This is 3-4, by the way. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. Warning against idleness. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we commend you command you brothers to keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us seven <clears throat> for you yourselves know how you ought to be ought to follow your our example we are not idle when we were with you okay this one says for you yourselves know how you ought to follow us for we were not disorderly among you now disorderly and idle are not at all the same no, you not. could say idle person is disorderly but you wouldn't say a disorderly person is necessarily idle um, last week we had patience and perseverance and I said well you know there is a difference and uh, I got two or three friends that sent me commentaries on the, the words and they can be very close or they can have divergent meanings mm -hmm. so um, it depends on how you are using the word uh, persevere or patience. So anyway, I, I always thank people. I, I always appreciate when people do that, when they send me something and, you know, because we talk about things and I forget and unless it comes in the, the uh, email, it's done. I'm on to something else. So, um, okay, 3-7. Uh, once again, he said idle and this one says disorderly. So let's see here. The word for here is given based on the words of the previous verse, which exhorted those in Thessalonica to withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly. It is then explained in this and in the coming verse. For now, he says, for you yourselves know. As he has done on numerous occasions, Paul calls to memory what occurred in the past. Each time he does this, it solidifies his argument and his exhortations, because there can be no doubt of what he relays. He and his associates acted in a certain way, and they saw it with their own eyes. I repeat that again and again and, uh, when we're going through Paul. Is that he's always saying, I did this, or you bore witness to this, or whatever. He couldn't write it if it wasn't true. true. Because when they got the uh, note of it, they would uh, uh, say, well, this guy's insane. They'd throw the letter away, and that would be the end of that. 
So when he says something and it's in a letter to those people, you know that what he said is correct. Okay, and that means that when he says, we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from uh, every brother who walks disorderly and not according to attrition, which he received from us, for you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you. Okay, so he couldn't have said that if it was not true. They know that he worked and was uh, passionate about what he did. He did it in an orderly manner. And uh, he did it in a manner that honored the Lord. And so that's the evidence right there. Just him writing it is an evidence all by itself. Um, so uh, understanding this, he goes further by saying that they know his words, how you ought to follow us. The meaning of the word follow is to imitate. Okay, he's not asking people to follow. You know, I get this a lot when people say, you know, Paul isn't a... You shouldn't be reading Paul because he's always saying, my gospel and uh, follow us and this, you know, these kind of things. And they, they have no idea what they're talking about nope. to begin with. But even beyond that, the word follow simply means to imitate. Okay, it's not saying that we are the head of the church and you need to, you know, saying that Christ is the head. He's very clear in his epistles. Here's how we approach our relationship with Christ. Here's how we conduct our lives. Here's how we do this and that. Imitate us. Okay. They don't see Jesus. All they have is Paul telling them about Jesus. And so when he says, imitate us, he is setting an example as a leader to follow them because they know about what is appropriate when following Jesus. Okay. Uh, the arguments against Paul are insane. That guy finally did answer. Uh, remember I told you a guy emailed about... Um, uh, you might, was it last week or two weeks ago, I said the guy that uh, was saying Paul is the Antichrist and he's oh. burning in hell and all this kind of stuff. He finally did answer and it was, I hate to say it, the, the word fits perfectly, though it was a retarded answer. Then I told him as much. I said, you know, uh, he, he's saying, I, I asked him three specific questions, one of which is, do you hold to acts as inspired? And he came back and he says, not as Paul would say inspired, okay? And uh, in other words, I am the arbiter of what I believe is inspired. And I said, you're arguing. You're arguing words within the book of Acts as if they're inspired. And then when you disagree with them, all of a sudden it doesn't matter. See what I'm saying? It's, it's an illogical argument. I told him that. I said, that, that makes no sense. And then uh, the uh, one about um, Paul, where uh, he said um, in Acts, in one place it says, I heard a voice, but I, uh, or they heard a voice, but they didn't see him. And the next one says, they didn't hear a voice. And he came back and he said, don't you see the contradiction in there? And I said, I was waiting. I was giving you a chance to at least check, and he didn't. And uh, so I, uh, I told him that the word here has two separate meanings, and the context derives it. Just because your Bible incorrectly translates it doesn't mean that it's incorrect. Anyway, and then he responded to me today, and I deleted it without looking. Right. I don't want to, I, no, I'm done with that guy. I just, yeah. I, I, you know, people, all they want to do is argue their position on something that is invalid to begin with. Right. And uh, so it's not worth uh, wasting your time with people like that. As Paul says, uh, warn them once, warn them a second time, and then have nothing to do with them. Otherwise, you know, it, the Proverbs, one proverb after another in the uh, Proverbs says, answer a fool according to his folly, uh, lest he be exalted in his own eyes. And the next one says, do not answer a fool according to his follies, uh, lest you, I, I can't remember exactly what it says, but uh, it, it, it diminishes you. And so he, the point is, he's saying, you are to argue with a fool 
to put him in his place and then don't argue anymore. Because when you argue with somebody continually, he's exalting himself. Right. And so, that you know, there, there is absolutely no point beyond going to arguments with the person. Paul says that explicitly. You don't need to go beyond that. Do not go beyond that with people because they will suddenly be exalted in their own thinking and it will do no good at all. So um, two times and done. Um, let's see here. Um, understanding this, he, uh, yes, the meaning of follow is to imitate. In the manner that he and his fellow workers acted, the church should also act. The missionaries had set the standard and those ministered to should take note and follow accordingly. In other words, this, how you ought to follow us, is actually described in 1 Thessalonians 2. Okay, the words, how you ought to follow us, is uh, Paul's words, not mine. So, um, let's see here. We're going to go to 1 Thessalonians 2. And he says there, 8, I need to go to here. Okay, you are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you and you who believe. As you know, and how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. Okay, so that's his words. He's saying that he said those things to him. He could not have said those things to them unless it was true because he's writing to them. So Paul's own witness is within his own letters to the people he writes to when he confirms something that happened when he was with them. Okay, so we need to pay attention to what Paul is saying. This thing keeps going down again. It didn't do it for three weeks, and now it's done it three times today. So, um, okay, so uh, let's see here. Um, okay, the final words of the verse, for we were not disorderly among you, are not meant to contrast the purpose of condemning. Rather, they are words of contrast for the purpose of exhortation that they would choose and walk on the right path. He's not condemning them with his words. He is exhorting them with his words. And you could take it either way, but he is giving them an exhortation. The Greek word he uses, which is translated as disorderly, is the verb form of the adverb he used just in the previous verse, which is also translated as disorderly. Thus he is saying, just as you are to withdraw from those who are disorderly, you should emulate one who is marching in proper order. For we were not walking in a disorderly way among you. Okay, that's the substance or the sense of what he is telling them. All right, and that's what we should do. We find somebody that's walking properly, we want to follow them. If somebody is not walking properly, we don't want to emulate them. Okay, and that's as common as, it's, you know, bees in a hive. So we just need to be discerning about who we are following. Are they adhering to scripture or not? If they're not, then stay away from them. Okay. Um, what is your say in the previous verse? Was it what, six? That one, we just read, um, what was it? Seven. And seven. The, the word was disorderly. Yours said idle. It said what did, idle in the six. It does in both. Okay. Idle and disorderly are not the same word. Okay. Like I said, you can be disorderly by being idle. But just because you're idle does not mean you are necessarily disorderly. It could be something else. So this one tends um, to be more specific. Yeah. Where yours is more of a general. Like yeah. If you're disorderly, you're you've got a lot of things going on. Absolutely. Against you, so. Yeah. So idle. You know, I I don't know why they chose that word, but whatever. Um, he uses a negative in order to form a positive example in the eyes of the Thessalonians. Like his description description of himself in his first letter. He will next again provide concrete examples of the conduct 
he and his associates demonstrated while he was among them. Okay, he's giving concrete examples. You got the proverb? No. No. Oh. reads undisciplined. Undisciplined, which is a lot closer to orderly than idle. Yeah. Idle can mean several different things based on how it's uh, going there. Just so you know, the guy that just walked in is uh, Amos, Amos Yoder. He's from Indiana. And uh, that guy right next to you, that's the guy I was talking about while you were here, Mr. Indiana there. So uh, uh, he came by today. He was ate over at the Turkish restaurant. And he just wanted to see what kind of a church we were. And uh, so he, we talked for 20, 30, 40 minutes. Nice guy. So just, just so you know, he's not back there uh, causing trouble. Um, all right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Some leeway. I mean, come on. There you go. Uh, life application. Times of trial are certain to come. Now, wait a minute. That's not the right life application. I remember last... No, you weren't here. We had three life applications at the top of a page, which made it very confusing. Um, so now I'm on to a new page, and I'll put my mark there so I know that I'm on the front and not the back of that page. Life application. Uh, Paul's words are as much to us as they are to his original audience. Obviously, they're in the Bible. They are epistles that are written for church doctrine. So just because he's writing to the Thessalonians does not mean he is writing to us. And that's one of the things I find very maddening about people is they will take something like out of uh, 1 Corinthians, you know, uh, the women doing this or wearing your hair a certain way or whatever, and they will say, oh, that's cultural. That was for the Corinthians, but that doesn't apply to us. I'm sorry, it doesn't work that way. This letter was written to the Corinthians. It's not a cultural thing that we can throw away because we disagree with it. It is something that the Bible says. It is in the epistles, and the epistles are for church age doctrine. So when it says you're not to do this thing, you're not to do this thing. If it says you are to do this thing, then you are to do it, okay? Um, something uh, that is uh, cultural will be noted as a cultural thing, okay, in one way or another. We will know that. Now, I'll qualify that because not too long ago, we talked about um, uh, greet each other with a holy kiss. And... That has to be taken culturally, because if you go to Japan and you greet somebody with a holy kiss, they are going to give you a kung fu chop on the neck, okay? <laughs> that, I went through that very clearly and methodically, all of the examples of the kiss in the Bible, how that is something that they did, and to this day, they do it in France. To this day, they do it in Saudi Arabia. They do it in parts of the world. That is their way of greeting okay, um, and to take something like that and fly with it when it is something obviously traditionally all the way through scripture is, you know, a bit of an error because Paul doesn't greet everybody in the Bible with a holy kiss. Some of them he salutes when he leaves. It's very explicit there. He's doing something that people would readily do in the area that he is in. Okay, so uh, I want to be sure that you know that uh, we can't just arbitrarily take things out of the Bible and say, well, that was cultural, and therefore we don't need to do that. All right? Um, it, it doesn't work that way. We need to be careful and do what the Word says. We want to apply it in context to our lives. Okay, um, I better go back here. Um, uh, as much to his original audience, if we want to live properly, all we need to do is go to the Bible and apply its precepts to our own lives. This is especially so with the words of Paul's epistles. They are our marching orders. If we're soldiers, we're soldiers in Christ, like Paul addresses Timothy, okay, that means that we have marching orders. Here it is, this word, especially the epistles 
the church age epistles that tell us how to regulate our conduct during the church age. Okay, so um, uh, there are marching orders during this dispensation. All scripture is profitable for this purpose, but his words are especially directed to this Gentile-led church age. Okay, that's the way it works. That's the way it is. And someday we will be taken out of here. And when we are, the Lord will be working in a new dispensation. He'll be finishing up one for seven years. And after that, they will enter into the millennium. Okay, so um, wonderful stuff, the way the Bible is structured and how it just so beautifully matches what is going on in the world. How the world around us is literally devolving before our very eyes devolving into wickedness, anarchy, and chaos. Um, I'll say it on Sunday again anyway, but you saw what the Pope did over the past sure. couple of days. Okay, uh, it, we, they can now bless same-sex unions in the uh, Catholic Church, okay? Yeah, I, I mean, he just arbitrarily says, scripture doesn't matter. After 2,000 years of them having a policy where you could never do something like that, arbitrarily he says, we can do it. And that's why we do not hold to authoritative letters like that, papal bulls and books of discipline and, and all that kind of nonsense that people have in their churches. Because when you have such a thing, it can be amended. The word of God can never be amended. It stands the same today as it was the day it was written. Okay, We do not amend the word of God. We do not dis, uh, dis, you know, ignore the word of God or dismiss the word of God. We hold to the word of God. That is our marching orders. But we have to take everything in this proper context, okay? Um, uh, well, I wanted to get into something and that would be too much of a, a, a rabbit trail. I'm not gonna do that right now. Okay. 3-8. Nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Okay, it's kind of close, different verbiage and words, but nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. So it's very close, but um, the, uh, you know, the word bread in the Bible often just means eating, okay? It just stands as representative of food in general. So um, that's why they say bread, which is probably the literal Greek, and then you said food. <laughs> No big problem. Okay, so um, let's see here. Uh, these words are not just descriptive reminders, but they are instructive as well. Paul just said, for you yourselves know how you ought to follow us. By stating what they did, he is instructing what those in the church should do. He began that instruction by stating they were not disorderly, okay? Paul and his people were not disorderly. Just saw that in verse 7. Now he continues in this verse with, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge. He's getting ready to say something that the modern world absolutely hates, but he's going to say it anyway. He's setting that up right now. He didn't eat anybody's bread free of charge. Paul went into an area, and instead of saying, I'm a preacher, and you know, here's how to be saved. Okay, now you're saved. You can start paying my wages. He didn't do that. He kept working. He continued to work and pay his own way through his missionary service, okay? He uh, made tents. He was a tent maker by trade, and he did accept assistance from some churches. Surprisingly, you'd say, well, you know, they must have been pretty wealthy churches. On the contrary, they were the poorer churches. 
he wouldn't take money from the richer churches because he did not want them thinking that he was milking off of them. But he was willing to accept it from the poorer churches because he understood that it was a grace by allowing a poor person to help him. Okay, I've said it before. When I traveled around the U.S. in 2010, the poorest people always gave the most. Always. If you went into a rich person's house and stayed there for the night, uh, you left probably less of a person than you were before. And I'm not saying that's with everybody that's rich. That's not the case. But generally, the poor people expend themselves in a way that rich people never will, ever. It is unbelievable to see that consistently happen if you you know, are in a position where you need to rely on people. Paul understood that, and he's not condemning people for being rich. There's absolutely nothing wrong with being rich, and he never told the people in Corinth, you know, you're rich and you need to now become poor so that you can be like me. He didn't do that, okay? Um, he did hold them to their obligations when they promised to, uh, uh, you know, they promised to gift to the people in Jerusalem. And how embarrassing, you know, he has to write him a letter and said, I want to make sure this gift is there because his poor church has gone beyond themselves to help. And so he was very careful about how he handled these things, and he was very wise in how he handled them. So um, uh, there you go. But uh, he's getting ready to make a point about that, okay? He says, you, uh, where was that? Um, Nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge. Paul and his companions didn't just come to town, here it is, proclaim the gospel, and then say, as your instructors, we hope you will provide for our means while we are among you preaching and teaching. Never did that. He never said to them, you know, we need help, we're here preaching, and we've got to teach you the word of God, and so uh, please take care of us. That was not Paul's modus operandi by any uh, stretch of the uh, imagination. Instead, he uses a Hebraism, which is, here it is, eat anyone's bread to show that they tended to their own basic needs. Bread here is used as a metaphor for that which sustains life. I'm talking about physical because water is the same thing for the uh, sustaining of life as well. So you got bread and water. Uh, now, there are times where in the Bible you'll see bread and water stand for what? Affliction, the bread and water of affliction, okay? You put them in prison, and you give him the bread and water of affliction until I come back. And that meant literally that guy was going to get nothing but bread and water until the king returned, which he never did. So once he didn't return, then uh, I suppose they released him from it. I don't know. It doesn't say after that. But um, uh, And then, of course, you get things like the Ezekiel diet. Have you all heard of the Ezekiel diet and the Daniel diet? Um, people love to profit off the Bible. This is really big in the world is I'm going to make a lot of money, and here's how I'm going to do it. I'm a Jew, and so I'm going to sell the fact that I'm a Jew to the world, okay? And they profit, and they make millions of dollars. Another way they do it is to say, the Bible says this will increase your health. And so uh, Ezekiel was on this particular diet that the Lord ordained for him, right? And if you follow this diet, you will be healthy. And so they start selling this stuff that Ezekiel is eating. They sell it for a lot of money. They've made millions on the Ezekiel diet. Does anybody know the problem with that? The Ezekiel diet was for affliction. It was for the basic, basic needs of human existence. If you don't believe me, just go read Ezekiel 4. But people don't read their Bible, and they listen to these nonsense people on TV that have got the special food for you to be healthy forever. And the same thing with Daniel, right? Daniel did what when he went to Babylon? They ate what? Vegetables. 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 They refused the king's food. And they said, well, see, 
This means that you will be happy and healthy if you eat this. That is not the point of that at all. The point is that they were being obedient to the Lord. Just because they were healthier and fatter than the rest of them after 10 days does not mean that that is going to work for everybody. The Lord was their sustainer, is the point that's being made by Scripture. The Daniel diet, the Ezekiel diet, stay away from that kind of stuff. You're wasting your money. Uh, be in line with them being fire, yet not harm. Yeah. Eating just vegetables and yet being better than their Absolutely. Vegetables. The point is that they were trusting in the Lord, not in food, not in, you know, cast us into the fire. We're going to be fine. You see that? It's like a light bulb coming on. It just clicked. Yeah. Yeah. So how come the John the Baptist diet isn't really... Yeah, why don't we have the John the Baptist diet? <laughs> Honey Locust. and locusts, right? Why don't we do that? Why does anybody have that on? I'm sure that would be a big seller. You'd be, you know what you do? You'd say... John the Baptist Diet uh, Industries, right? And you, grand opening. And right below it, you have a sign that says going out of business. That's what would happen, okay? So, um, but everything has a context and people are not willing to look at the context within scripture. And because of that, they only harm themselves and they get poor while other people get stinkingly rich over nonsense. So if you hear of the Ezekiel diet, don't buy it, okay? That's my recommendation to you. Um, let's see here, um, uh, where was I? Eat anybody's bread. Bread is a metaphor. Not only did they shun pay for their instruction, they even refused to accept a gift free of charge for the most commonly needed of provision. They did not take people's bread. They ate their own after earning it themselves. Okay. Instead they worked, Paul's words, worked with labor and toil night and day. They worked they preached, they taught, they converted, they instructed, but it was at their own expense. And like I said, I want to qualify that because he says it himself in there that other churches did support him, but he would lean on the poorer churches because he knew that they were sincere, that there was no hidden agenda. They would never suspect him of doing wrong. Whereas a richer church is the first thing they're going to do is say, well, this guy's just looking for money. Okay. So he was, he was very wise about, he was uh, to the point of being shrewd. He, he knew exactly what to do and when to do it. Sometimes we think of shrewd in a negative sense, but it isn't. It's just a word that shows almost delightful cunning, okay? But it can be in a bad way or in a good way. Um, okay, they, meaning Paul and those with him, were willing to expend themselves for the sake of those they ministered to rather than accept what they were actually rightfully due, Okay. Elsewhere, Paul says the laborer is worthy of his yeah wages or higher. Exactly. That's 1 Timothy 5.8. He also says in Galatians 6.6, 6, Burke, okay, this is one of the few, one of the few verses that you are going to find in the New Testament for giving. This and one other. The other one completely blows away the idea of tithing in a church, the nonsense of tithing. He says, first, let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. That doesn't mean you have to give 10%. That means that if you make cookies, give him a cookie, right? If you're, whatever is good with you, take care of your teacher in that manner, okay? If you have a filet mignon, maybe give him one of those. I don't know what, I'm kidding. Um, anyway, um, uh, so, you know, that is one. The other one, and this is really the only prescriptive verse on giving in the New Testament uh, epistles is... Let him who gives give with a glad heart or give cheerfully, glad heart, cheerfully. That's it. If you're not giving 
out of a glad heart, you shouldn't be giving at all. Like you should this. not say, I'm under compulsion to give 10%. If you're in a church that says that, get up and leave if he doesn't change his ways. First, go and tell him. That's not what the Bible teaches. Tithing was a mandate under the law of Moses. It was never intended to go beyond the law of Moses. Uh, I'll bring up something, though, is that um, I think I've said this before, but it'll help you remember. There is uh, what people, they, the people that actually read their Bible and know that the law of Moses is set aside and tithing was a precept under the law of Moses, but don't want to give up on beating that out of their congregations will then do what? They will go back to Melchizedek and Abraham giving him 10% and say, see, that precedes the law and that is the law of first mention. Okay? There is no law of first mention. That was solely introduced to keep people tithing because somebody knew that the Bible says that tithing is precept under the Old Testament. So they came up with the false teaching of the law first mentioned. If that was true, then every other first mention in the Old Testament would be mandatory as well. How's your ark coming along? The what? Yeah, how's your ark coming along? We have to go build an ark or whatever. I mean, think of some, uh, a perfect precept of this would be um, if a uh, person is married to a woman and he dies before, uh, before she gets pregnant. What was the cultural mandate? The brother had to go in and sleep with her and give a child in that name. That is in the law, but it's also pre, pre-law. Does anybody in any church ever mandate that? Never. That's obviously not. There's, there's dozens of things like that. There is, remember this, there is no law of first mention. None. And that's Except, not the first time you mentioned that. All right, okay, I'm glad. I like to repeat myself if it's necessary. But there is no law of first mention except... With tithing. See how stupid that is? It's just, it's ridiculous. Okay? And as I said, I'll go through it very quickly because sometimes somebody will be here that has never heard this before. Even in the Old Testament, where tithing was mandatory, it was mandatory when? Every third year. Every third year. You tithed three years in a row. The first tithe... You went down to Jerusalem and had a big party for yourself and your family with your tithe. The second year, what did you do with it? Same thing. You went down to Jerusalem and had a big party with your family, eating your tithe. The third year, you stored it up within the gates of the city to take care of the poor people. All right? That was it. But tithing is set aside in Christ. We are not under law. You give cheerfully, not under compulsion. That is it. Along with what, uh, Galatians 6.6, 6, let everyone who taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. So if you go out and buy a new Maserati today, plan on buying two because I'll take one of them. All right. Okay. I'm kidding about that too. Yes. At Grace, the guy and his wife, his last name was Castro. Okay. He had a boy about six. Fidel, I knew him. I'm kidding. Go ahead. Anyway, the father gave this got a bill. I don't know whether it was a one or a five. Okay. But he lit up like a like a lantern. And, and he watched the offering go by and he couldn't wait to put his in. I mean, he had a big smile on wow. his face. Wow. That happened every time. Oh my gosh. The, the, the dad gave him that. Oh my gosh. I, I, that was so, so so encouraging to watch. Yeah. Well, you know, if you're going to instill giving in your child and they continue to do that forever, that is a great thing. 
okay, because he's going to be cheerful about it and he's going to continue to be cheerful about it. But if you tell your child, you got to give 10% every single time you get something and he really wants to buy a bicycle, he's not going to be happy about it. And he's going to be grudgingly giving. And now you are causing your child to violate scripture. As long as that child is happy giving that money, let him do it. Absolutely right. Okay, it's a good example. Very good. Okay, um, let's see here. So we're uh, down night and day. They were to expend. They were willing to expend themselves. I read that. Okay. However, it is obvious that Paul and his associates perceived that there was a streak of slothfulness in the Thessalonians, which needed to be rebuked through living example. And Paul is that living example, along with those with him. As Charles Ellicott notes, there is a flavor of scorn in St. Paul's disclaimer of such a parasite's life, okay? When I say parasite, it's people that just suck off of other people. They're not willing to, you know, God gave us a body for a reason. He gave us two arms for a reason. Some people don't have arms, okay? And they, they're dependent on other people. But I know people that, one guy, I saw him in uh, Time Magazine years and years ago. I've always remembered the picture. He's sitting there, no arms, and he had a cup of coffee and he was drinking with picking up with his toes. This guy didn't want anybody to feed him. He wanted to learn to do everything himself. You know, that guy, Nick, uh, the little uh, Australian guy that he's got short arms and legs and he does everything himself, right? He's willing. We got people in this world that have two arms and two legs, 10 toes and 10 fingers, and they won't get up and feed themselves. And the government just keeps giving them money. It's just, it's vile. It's, it's vile how we treat humanity. Instead of saying, and Paul is trying to correct them, you can't be slothful. You need to earn your way. You need to work and be diligent, okay? So uh, it, it, this is what the Lord expects of us. You know, it, these guys were out there in the field at 60 and 70 years old, still bringing in the harvest. That was their life. Eventually they got old and they died, but until then they just kept working unless they were invalids. So uh, it, what we're doing to human existence by funding people to not work is criminal. It is anti-biblical and that's why they're doing it is because they are anti-biblical people. They don't want the model that God has set into the scripture for families, for work, for righteousness. And they are just tearing people apart. Their lives are being ruined. Okay. Um, in order to quench this attitude among the Thessalonians, they worked all the more heartily, even night and day in order to be living examples of how to conduct one's affairs. This is all the more certain because he and his associates were willing to receive pay at other churches. I said that already, 2 Corinthians 11.8. Just so you know, I wasn't making that up. We'll go to 2 Corinthians and 11 verse 8. 11, oops, wouldn't you know, 11.9 begins that page. So I got one more back. Okay, did I commit sin in humbling myself that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches, taking wages from them to minister to you. He's writing to this wealthy church, and he's saying, I wasn't willing to take money from you. And now you probably are learning why. It's because it's important for me to be that type of an example to you. So, um, yeah, let's see here. But for those churches which needed proper guidance in how to conduct life's affairs, they would go the extra mile in being the right example. This was so, Paul's words, that we might not be a burden to any of you. In seeing this, they would hopefully learn to rightly live as well. 
Instead of being freeloaders, they would learn hard work, industry, and making one's own way in life. This will continue to be seen as Paul continues. Life application. Once again, at the top of a page. This is like the fourth one in a row. Huh. Um, with the advent of liberal policies and handouts from the government, being a freeloader has become an acceptable part of society. You know what? It's so much so in Australia that here in America, at least among people that are willing to work, uh, getting welfare and getting government subsidies is an embarrassment. I've got an uncle that says he will not take a veteran's burial. In other words, they pay for everything. You've earned that. You were in the military. You have a right to be buried at full expense. And it doesn't matter where. It doesn't have to be at a veteran's. They just pay the expense. He says, I'm not going to do that. And he served. And that's his choice. It's almost a, a negative when you say, I'm receiving government benefits. Now, some people have to. I admit, I'm not trying to belittle anybody. But in Australia, they've got the people so convinced that it's just a normal thing. You know, you might get, you know, 50 bucks for this, or, and they just send you money all the time. That is how you groom a society into indolence. You Israel start... The same. What? Israel. The same. Israel, yeah, same thing. It's just a little here, a little there, and they keep buying you into this thing that you should not be taking care of yourselves. And in America, it's just become the most common thing in the world where you just go and say, I need welfare. I've got two arms and two legs. There's nothing wrong with me, but I'm going to go and take money from the government because somebody else will pay for my life. I, when I was in the projects years and years ago, I won't say his name, but uh, 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 right, where was it? Right next to Deborah was a, uh, I'm sorry, Doris was a lady and her uh, grandchildren. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. They were about this big. And they were finally getting to the age where they needed to start getting a job. And he's sitting out there every Saturday Every Saturday we go there, and there's just sitting on the stoop. And I finally said to him one time, I said, do you want to be here when you're 72 years old doing the same thing you're doing right now? Is that what you want with your life, is to just never leave this stoop? You can go out and get a job. You can work. You can go around the world. You can do anything with yourself. And you're sitting here on a stoop doing nothing every single week when we come here. He finally got a job. I don't know what he did after that because they, they moved. But, yeah, I, uh, but you, you got to wonder. It, it's so conditioned into them that they will never leave that stoop. The government's going to give me $400 next month and next month and next month, and they have no ambition and no will to because if they take that money and they say, okay, now I'm going to save up and I'm going to get a job now, the government will cut them off because now they're making too much. And they get kicked out of housing and they don't have enough for a, a rental first, last, and so they're, they're in prison. They've got them in prison down there. This is what they want with these people. Yeah, now. they're just giving them money, coming over the border. Here's people that would work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, people that would come here to work. They're they're getting them right now on welfare, right when they come here, so that so, they never want to get off of welfare. You're rightfully calling it welfare, but they they've changed everything to entitlement. Sure. And there's only two things that are entitled. Yeah. Is is social security because you paid into it, and, right. and any benefits that go to to uh, anybody who's been in the military. Yeah. That's it. That's it. That's that's an entitlement. Yeah. The rest of it is like not an entitlement. A, just a it's just it's, it's sponge. Like, it's being sponging off of somebody else. So, uh, however, it is not an acceptable attitude according to the Bible. What we're talking about there, the Book of Proverbs in particular, has strong words against such people. They are leeches that need to be scraped off from the bloodied flesh that they cling to, and they need to either fend for themselves 
or suffer the consequences of their own idleness. Again and again, Solomon brings that up. You know, the guy, he uh, says there's a lion in the streets. That's his excuse for not going out and getting to work. There's a lion in the streets. It might eat me. Well, yeah, there's a lion in the streets. There's an elephant. There's snakes. There's, it's life, you know. He also says that the guy doesn't plant in the beginning of the season, and at the end, there's nothing to cultivate, right? The roof that isn't fixed leaks, okay? He goes through this again and again and again, explaining that if you're not willing to be productive, you're going to suffer the consequences of it. Those are just a couple examples, and Solomon goes through it again and again and again. Work. Be a person of productivity. This is what the Lord designed us for. Okay. Let's see here. Three nine. There we go. Wow, we we're just this. burning this up. Not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. Okay, not because we do not have authority, but we make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. Okay. One can see the importance of apostolic authority in Paul's words. He has explained why he and his associates did not impose upon those in Thessalonica. He's very clear. He explains everything. He details it. He doesn't hide anything. And he is saying this to them because this is now in the Word of God that we should learn from it as well. He's saying these things. You know, and I don't know if Paul knew that his letters would be in the Bible or not. They probably had no idea that these letters would be saved, would be considered inspired, and then would be handled accordingly. But um, it was because they did not desire to be a burden on them. However, he now notes that they had every right to do so with these words. He says, not because we do not have authority. That means he did have authority. He had authority to say, once they were converted, we are your teachers, because he instructs the churches to take care of any other teachers, and that means that he himself had authority as well. Probably more because he's an apostle and not just a uh, appointed deacon or elder or overseer. Okay, and I know overseer and elder are kind of synonymous. He uses the same word in the same context at times, but um, an overseer later in church history has kind of been like the grand poopa, and you've got the uh, the elders here, and then you've got the deacons way down here. Okay, that wasn't really the way it was in the past. They all kind of worked together, but they had their individual jobs. And the elder and the overseer were kind of the same thing, just different terms for it. Um, but uh, uh, what does the word deacon come from? Do you remember? Anybody remember where that comes uh, it's, from? It's the name of a denomination. No, deacon, yeah. deacon, deacon. Dia, through, and the word konos. Dust, through the dust. They are people that serve by working. They're running through the dust, kicking up the dust while they are serving the congregation. That's all it means. It's just a person that is busy doing things. And so when it says, we, you know, we, we can't be setting tables here. We need to be out preaching the word of God. He's appointing deacons and they're going through the dust. They're setting up tables and they're feeding people and whatever else. That's all the deacon means, okay? But um, nowadays, we've got all these things and people, I'm a deacon in this church, and they don't do anything. <laughs> ah, okay, um, let's see here. Um, uh, yes, they did have authority. They had a legitimate right to partake of anything any other apostle was entitled to. They bore the word of God. They transmitted it to the church there. That was what they did, and they had a right to 
taking from the church or accepting, I should say accepting from the church. They had no right to take from the church. That's like what we read about with the Catholics and going into places and stealing all their gold and, you know. Okay, the implication is that bearing the word of God carries this authority. As the word of God comes through the apostles, only those who bear the word of God as given by the apostles have a right to the same authority. Okay? And there is only one word of God. Only those who hold to it alone have a true right to what accompanies its transmission. Okay? People that just make stuff up out of their heads and they don't adhere to the word of God have no right to being taken care of by the people in the churches. Okay? They do because people don't read their Bibles and they don't know what the Bible says. But as long as you are willing to accept that this is the word of God, that this is given by God through the apostles, okay, prophets and apostles of the past, then the people that adhere to this and that properly teach it are the people that should be given that type of an honor. Okay, someone who stands in the pulpit and dismisses the word of God or who adds to it has no authority or has abused his authority. He is to be rejected. But once again, you can't do that unless you know the word of God. That's true. Okay? That guy's up there, he's teaching something. It's got to be in accordance with the word. But unless you know what the word says yourself, you can't in any way, shape, or form say you're not complying with the word of God. Okay? That's why it's just as important for the lay people in a church to read the Bible as it is the pastor. And maybe I shouldn't say more, but it's definitely as important because that guy can take you down any wrong path, any wrong path. If you don't believe me, Jim Jones, right? I mean, just think of anybody like that. Ellen G. White and uh, Charles Taz Russell and all of these people. They come out and they say things. They start cults and people are lost. Joseph Smith, how many Mormons are there in the world? All because they don't read the word of God. Okay, um, this is all implied in how Paul reveals these truths. The word of God alone is our authority within the church. Once again, right, what we were talking about with the Pope earlier. We can now bless same-sex unions. Where does that come from? Because it sure doesn't come from this word that God has given us. It doesn't come from there. Okay, he has made an amendment in his theology because he's a perverse person. He's denied the word of God, and he is going down an unholy path. I mean, he's been going down his whole life, but it's just becoming more evident with every single decision that he makes. All right? Uh, he and his associates, meaning Paul, possessed that authority, but they did not exercise it. This was, as he says, to make ourselves an example. He wants them to see his example, and now we have that written in the word, and we know it's true because it was written to them, and they received it. Okay? So... This is their example of how people should conduct their lives. The words to make mean so that we might give. Okay, They were setting themselves as examples for those in Thessalonica to learn from and to then emulate. They had purposely acted as they did with the intent of teaching those who were slothful among the church. We've got these people that aren't doing anything. Then what was, does anybody remember, this is the overall context. What is the context of these people not working? Think of two Thessalonians. What has he been telling them? And what is it that's brought them to the state of not being productive? That the end is near. The end is near. The rapture is coming. 
and they're, it's right there in 2 Thessalonians 2. He told them what the Lord was going to do in the end times. He's going to take his church home someday, okay? And so they had questions about that. So they, he wrote them that first letter. And then the second letter. He's writing the second letter, and he gives the exact timeline of everything that's coming in the end times, everything, okay? And he says, don't you remember when I told you these things? And we went through that on the board, exactly how it was going to unfold. We are not going to know either who the Antichrist is or enter into the tribulation period. That is absolutely explicit in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Those two are things that we can take as an axiom. But people were denying that. They were saying the day of the Lord had come. And so what are the people doing? They're sitting around doing absolutely nothing because the Lord's coming. The day of the Lord comes. Okay, so there, and that is exactly, I get this one lady, I've known her for years. She emails me once or twice a week, sometimes a little less, and she, she goes to these rapture boards and she sends me all the nonsense that they send. She just sums it up really quickly for me because, you know, I, I just, I don't have time to go to stuff like that. Now, these people do absolutely nothing with their lives. All they do is sit around all day long and they predict the rapture. And when it doesn't happen, they do it again. It's always like a week or two away. Here's a sign. They're not doing anything. They're doing nothing productive. And I'm talking with their spiritual lives. Well, that's what these people in Thessalonica were doing. They were wasting their lives. They were taking what should have been productive human bodies and doing nothing. They're just sucking off the church. The church has got money right now. The Lord is here, or he's going to be here in 15 minutes, and I don't need to do anything until he gets here. And that has not ended for 2,000 years right. because people aren't willing to simply read this word. It's, it's, it's crazy when, when people do that, even today. Yeah. And it's like, okay, it's not your job. Your job is to tell somebody else about Jesus, not try and figure out when it's coming. And for all I know, it might be another 200 years. Absolutely. We're living in a very strange time. We're living in a time where it seems like the Lord is going to be here soon. Israel's in the land. We've got all the nations hating Israel. Worse every day. I mean, anti-Semitism in America's skyrocketed in the past 30 days. It is literally skyrocketed. Okay. That doesn't mean the rapture is going to happen tomorrow. Things could settle out. We have no idea what's coming. The Lord may be 100 years away. I don't think so, but I'm not going to be one of these people that says the Lord's coming on Tuesday, next Tuesday, okay? That's not going to happen because he's going to come when he's going to come. And that's his choice. It's his business, okay? These people were not living the way that Paul instructed, and now he is re-instructing them with very harsh words. But he's doing it in a loving manner. So, um, uh uh, they are the example, and I read that. Let's see here. This is revealed in the words of how you should follow us. Paul and his companions had set themselves as a model, and this model was expected to be applied to the lives of those in the church. What is seen here is a letter that centers on the coming rapture of the church. That's why I asked you that is because I wanted to see if you were paying attention, and all of you were. You got exactly what Paul is doing this for. Rapture of the church and then the coming day of the Lord. It is to be inferred that there were congregants who were sitting around doing nothing because it was so much easier to speculate about the coming of the Lord than it was for them to get up, get out, and go to work. And it was also so much easier than studying the Word, gaining sound theology, and actually applying Scripture to their lives. They did not want to do that. They had no interest in doing that. And so they sat around and did a lot of nothing all day long. 
that is a, a waste of human life, okay? You know, I remember I was in, um, uh, I was watching something in Hong Kong. They, you know, I've been to Hong Kong and they've got these old tenant houses and they were built really poorly. They were really, you just look at them and think, how can that thing still be standing, okay? Million people packed into them. Okay, and finally they decide we're going to go with modern construction standards. We're going to build new housing. Okay, one of the people was being interviewed about moving out of that house. She's an old woman and her family. Okay, actually, you know, the, the family, grandchildren, but there's an old woman. She was, you know, the oldest in the house. Husband's already dead. How long have you lived here? I right, 37 years or something. Maybe in this little teeny hovel for all these years. The building is going to be exploded in one day. It's going to be leveled. And you know what she was doing? Dusting. She was sweeping. <laughs> Get out of my way. Let me sweep. She's sweeping a building that is going to be leveled in a day. That is a person that understands right living. Mm. It's somebody that understands orderliness. That person understood that. It was her desire for that place to look good when it was blown up. Mm. I, I think of that lady all the time. I mean, every time I think I'm just too tired to do this, I think, you know, that old lady sweeping the floor in a building that's about to get imploded. And we can't get off our duffs and get to work in this country. Uh, they were the forerunners. Oh yeah, these people that Paul is writing about, they're the forerunners of today's YouTube prophecy addicts who spend all their time in the realm of goofy instead of in the realm of reality. They didn't want to work and they used the soon coming of the Lord as an excuse to do just that, to not work. They didn't want to strain their minds on sound theology, and they mishandled scripture in order to avoid learning to rightly apply it. Has anything changed? No. Nothing. Nothing has changed. It's hard work. Theology is very hard work. It's, it's mind-numbing. You go home and you're tired and you think, I was in that class and I think I remember two things that the teacher said. But you're feeding yourself on the Word of God, okay? I know it's cliche, you've heard it before, but it's a very good example. Is the guy that uh, uh, says, you know, I don't know why I'm coming to church, and I just don't get anything out of it. And he says, I, I just listen, and I, I don't remember anything when I get home. And the pastor says to the guy, what did you eat for dinner last night? I don't know. But it nourished you, didn't it? It fed you. You might not remember what it was, but it kept you going, and it fed you. If you're not listening to the Word of God, something else is coming in in its place. You're being nourished. Even if you don't remember it, somewhere in your mind, it is processing what you have heard. You are now molding yourself to the image of what the Bible expects of you. But if you're not learning the Word, that's never going to happen. Never in a million years. It's not just going to come by uh, what osmosis where you sleep on top of your Bible. It, it doesn't work that way. If you are getting the Word of God, you will be building yourself up in the Word, even if you don't remember. And I say it from time to time in a sermon. You might remember two things that I say during a sermon. And that's why I try not to use a lot of humor in sermons, because that is what you will remember the most. If I give a joke in there, you're going to remember that joke. And to me, that's sad. That's why my sermons are so detailed. They're so analytical. Is because I want you to take something out of there that you will remember and say, I really, really appreciate that little tidbit. And it's building something inside of you that is maturing you in the Word of God. Anyway, before YouTube, one can see them setting up stalls on the road and promoting their wares for everyone to see. Instead of a donate button, which you find on these 
websites, they had a donate slot. Instead of computer graphics, they had their wife paint a bizarro screen at the back of the stall. And instead of an open Bible filled with study notes, they listened to words of false teachers, which Paul says in verses 2, 1 through 3. Okay, we'll go there right now just so that you know what I'm talking about. It's been a while since we were in chapter 2, so we can review that. 2, 1 through 3. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day, the day of Christ, will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. And then he goes on to say, a few verses down from there, that we're not going to know who, who is? The, the Antichrist. Antichrist. If we're not going to know who the Antichrist is, and the Antichrist is revealed in the day of Christ, the day of the Lord, then we're not going to know the day of Christ. It, 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 I had it all there, and people were sending me screenshots of me talking, showing appreciation that they said, it all makes sense now, okay? We're not going to know those things. So why follow people that are teaching that? Okay, but it's so easy to just do that. It's so easy to just let that kind of stuff rule your life, and you don't have to learn theology, okay? Um, I got to tell you, when I do my morning commentaries, and I do all kinds of extra things associated with the commentaries that people will never see, and I do that because maybe someday somebody will want to refer to that. If I had this attitude, I'd never do any of that kind of stuff. I'd just skip it. But, hello, how are you, Miss Garrett? You look lovely tonight. Thank you. All right, is Thor out there? No. Okay. Uh, well, go pet him on the head, maybe give him a noogie and tell him his dad loves him, okay? I will go. All right. Oh, she's got something for you. What's that? Oh, somebody just sent it right there. No, I, oh, that was you. That's my okay. Picture of it. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah, send that to me. I will. Okay. That way, if somebody asks, I can say, "Here's the diagram." Thank you. I did good. I because I didn't save that and whatever. Well, okay. here it comes. Good. Yeah, send that to me. Um, okay. So instead of an open Bible filled with study notes, etc., I read that um, uh, they simply made things up out of their heads, passing it off as the truth of God. Okay. Paul is and will continue telling them that this is not appropriate. This is Paul. This isn't Charlie Garrett. I'm just analyzing Paul's words. You know, I'm not bitter at these people because I'm somehow jealous of them. I'm bitter at them because they're diverting from the Word of God. Okay? I've got my part-time jobs. That's fine with me. She's retired now. That's fine with me, too. We're doing okay. All right? I don't need people to, you know send me billions of dollars and to be famous and rich. I just want people to know this word. That's what's important. Anything else is gravy. It's thank you, Lord, for having blessed us. Okay. Um, uh, let's see here. Um, they uh, Here's, well said. Uh, they needed to get out there, work, and stop idly speculating about something which is known but to God alone. God, he says it right there. Right there, the last words that Jesus said before he ascended. The last words, and we can't get this right. That's why we have 8,000 prophecy websites. Just filled with them. The very last words that Jesus said. That's it. He said right here. It is not for you 
to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. These are the apostles. If anybody was to know, it was them. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That's it. You share the gospel. You don't worry about what the Lord is doing, what the Father is doing with his timeline of redemptive history, because you're not going to know, ever. You are not going to get an insight into when the rapture is going to happen. And Paul explicitly uses Jesus' words right there into Thessalonians, telling them the signs, the times and the seasons. You are not going to know. His last words to us, and we can't get that right. Right, and if they do know, then they weren't raptured. Oh, that's right. If they know, then they weren't raptured. Because when it happens, they're going to be left behind. Whatever. Mm -hmm. If you know when the rapture is, it means you didn't go. That's very good insight there. Absolutely. Okay, um, life application. We're going to do four verses today. I know. I'm this is shocked. like This is a world record. It is. Life application. Paul set the example of work and industry. Stop watching 60 hours of YouTube a week. Get up, get out, and get to work. And in your free time, anybody? Read your Bible. Read your Bible. And if you have an audio Bible, put it in your car and listen to it. Man, I'm on like the 8,000th time going through that, and I don't drive at all. I mean, I drive so little, and yet it constantly has gone through again and again. I'm so excited listening to the Word. Every time I listen, it gets more refreshing. It's just, what a, you know, I was thinking, I'm not going to embarrass him, uh, too much at least, but I was thinking while I was here earlier, um, sorry, it was just going through my mind, you know, if Burke died. What? No, I'm just saying, I was thinking, what would I say? And I would say, that is a man that loved the word of God. Yeah, I just, I I, you know how you think things in life? And I was just thinking, what would I do if Burke died? If they asked me to say something, I would say, Burke loves the Word of God. He, he doesn't just love it. He gets excited like little kid. His arms get like this, and he's, oh, oh. He, that guy loves the Word. My hair is standing up. I don't mean to embarrass you, Burke, but it is just so refreshing that somebody is willing. He sends out these studies on words and stuff, and it just, maybe that one didn't interest you. The next one will. Just, oh. The Word. Stay in the Word. Learn it and then properly apply it to your life. Good stuff. Three, I wasn't hoping you were dying. That was not what I was saying. No, you, you did say that you felt you were getting older. So that was probably what triggered that earlier. No, no, it was actually before that. But yeah, you know, it, what happens is every week I'm here cleaning it in the back, okay? I'm uh, cleaning the bathroom and the kitchen and everything. At bathrooms, we have two of them. Um, because we have males and females in this world. Anyway, um, uh, yeah, and so I'm back there, and I always wonder, you know, is Burke going to come early today? Will he be late? You know, I, I check my email. Sometimes he says, I can't make it or I'll be late or whatever. And so, and I always think, you know, what do I do if Burke's not here? And then it just suddenly dawned on me today, you know, if the Lord doesn't come, he's older than me, he's, you know, the chances are he's going to go before me. How would I honor him with words? He... Just, he's so excited about the word. Once again, I'm not hoping for that. I'm hoping the Lord will take all of us. 8-11. They what? Romans 8-11. 8-11, go ahead. No. Oh, okay. He wants me to read Romans 8-11. Well, he's looking for it. Sheila was taken by you for years now, listening to what you're opening and 
and stuff like that from last week. Yeah. Okay, Romans 8.11. Remind me about something with Sheila in just a second. Okay. Uh, 8.11. But if the spirit of righteousness, I'm sorry, yeah, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. It doesn't matter if we live or die. We are Christ's and we will be raised. That's all there is to it. You know, I just... Uh, you, you remember where that is. Yeah, absolutely, I will. I'll remember that. Um, <laughs> for future reference. For future reference. Hopefully <laughs> not used future reference. Um, you said Sheila, and it made me think of the word Shilo. Uh, we got another dog yesterday. Actually, a day and a half ago. Wow. Yeah, so we're back up to eight. We have our full eight complement. Wow. <laughs> She's shaking her head. Uh, we got a little poodle. He's not really little. He's bigger than the chihuahuas. But we got a poodle. Somebody had Alzheimer's and couldn't take care of it anymore. It's a little older, but uh, uh, it's got kind of a dual meaning. Shilo, which is uh, Japanese shido for a white. And then in Hebrew, it means scent. Okay, or sent one or something like that. So from the word Shiloh. So uh, we got Shiloh. Uh, we were told to keep its original name. I'm not keeping that stupid name. I'm sorry, that's not going to happen. Um, okay, just, so. Just call it Sheila. Sheila? I'm not, no, I'm not going to call it Sheila because then that would, no, I'm not going to do that. It's Sheila. No. White, because he's a white poodle. Anyway, so we're Whitey? back up. To, huh? Whitey? Oh, we could do that. Yeah, Sheila. Yeah, very good. That would be a translation of it. There we go. Okay. Um, so, okay. Uh, yeah, we're in 310 now. Yes. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. Here it is. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. Yes. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. My guess is yours says man because it's a masculine. Right. But man, just so you know, I, I, I know I've said this, but somebody may not understand this, is that in the Greek, the masculine covers the feminine. When you're talking to a group, if there is one man in that congregation of people you're speaking to, it will be addressed in the masculine. If you're only speaking to women, then you would speak in the feminine. But when there is a male present or you know, half and half or whatever, it's always in the masculine. And that's the way that we spoke forever in the English language, okay? Until a few years ago, when a guy named Obama got into the White House, and ever since then, nobody knows what their pronouns are. Nobody knows what a woman is. We got a Supreme Court justice that can't define a woman. Right. In just a few years, this nation has gone completely bonkers. But the Bible said it would, so there we are. We're, we're, we're right in line with Bible prophecy saying that the world is going to come apart at its seams, okay? Starting with people not being able to identify what a woman is. Okay. My um, pronoun is saved. Yeah, your pronoun is saved. Hey, saved. <laughs> I'll take okay, it. 310. Uh, food. When you're hungry, nothing else satisfies like food. <laughs> Paul now ties this wonderful necessity in with an oft-dreaded word, work. We both need food and we enjoy food. We often do not like work, but Paul, according to him, we need to work if we want that other thing we need and enjoy. If we don't do the one, we're not going to get the other. That's in a normal world, okay? I'm not talking about the United States welfare system. He links the two together as if they are one thing. This verse seems to be tied back to verse 6. Read verse 6 because I'm not going to go pulling six. it. Go back. It says, in the name 
of the Lord Jesus ah. Christ, we command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle mm -hmm. and does not live according to the teachings you receive from us. Okay, so verse 6 says that we stay away from these people. They're not adhering to the word of God. They're sitting around. They're doing nothing. They're speculating about the rapture. Stay away from these people. Stay as far away from them as you can because you are harming your walk with the Lord by hanging around with people like that. And I'm talking about not just hanging around here in church or at work. I'm talking about your time spent in front of YouTube. There's a lot of good stuff on YouTube. I mean, everything that you could ever imagine that was put on film, even going back to 1920s movies, it's all there. Okay, except things that they don't want you to see nowadays. Those have been taken down. But anyway, despite that, you can find them on Rumble. So if you want to find those things, go to Rumble. But um, the there's so much that is good on YouTube. Stay away from the nonsense, the the idle speculation, the mishandling of the Word of God. Okay, that's what we should be doing. All right, stay away from these people. And then he says here, if you don't work, you don't eat. And so, for where, when we were with you, once again, Paul's words, he says this, it's got to be true because he's writing to them. When we were with you is first based on that command. And then it was practically lived out by Paul and his associates in verses 7 through 9. We just went through those verses. Next, we command you this. This is Paul's words. We command you this is tied to what is spoken at the beginning of verse 6, which you just read, but we command you. This is now repeated in the epistle to remind them of what they had said. We told you these things. We are reminding you of what we told you. While in Thessalonica, it was evident that some were unwilling to work, but instead were sponging off the kindness of others. As I said, they all are thinking, the Lord is coming. We're in the day of the Lord. Somebody sent us this letter. It's not from Paul. It's not from... but. Somebody said it, and they were holding on to it like it's true. The Lord is coming. Okay, if somebody says to you the rapture is going to happen on, uh, we'll just say, 12 January, what is the natural reaction of most people? Most? If, if you ab absolutely believe that's true. 12 January. Yawning. You're, you're just going to want to not do anything. You're just going to be sitting here waiting for it to happen. I don't have to go to work for the next two weeks. <laughs> I'm going to be raptured out of here. Listen, this is what the Millerites did in the 1890s. The Lord's coming. They sat around twiddling their thumbs, doing absolutely nothing. Eventually, they became the Seventh-day Adventists, and they do a lot more nothing as far as theology is concerned. But this, this is what happens when you have something that says, unlike that Chinese lady that swept out her, her most people won't do that. The house is being torn down. Why would I fix the roof? Why would I do this? Why would I do that? Okay, the natural reaction of most people would be, the Lord is coming, I don't need to get involved in this. I have to tell you, getting involved in the Word every single day is important. Even if you know that the Lord is going to come tomorrow, I spend my time reading the Bible one more time. Right. I, that just, it, I don't know. Priorities. Okay, so he's saying, um, uh, where was I? Um, uh, yeah, okay, let me see. We commend you. This is now repeating the epistle. Well, in Thessalonica, it was evident that some were unwilling to work. Okay, but instead, they were sponging off the kindness of others. Gee, we're all Christians here. You wouldn't let a hungry brother down, now would you? You can see the attitude. I need to eat, and the Lord's coming anyway, so let me just, you know, eat at the church every day. 
<coughs> this is something that is still seen 2,000 years later. <coughs> Some people use their status as Christians to guilt other Christians into tending them. I get this a lot. Trust me on this. I get this a lot, okay? Even for their basic necessities. You wouldn't believe some of the emails I get. Unbelievable. Oh, you, you know, and uh, I, I'll just keep that one quiet. Sure. It happens to individuals and it happens to churches. There are sponges all over the place who take advantage of this. I know uh, people that have gone to churches and say, that church won't help me at all. They wouldn't even entertain me. Well, when you have 800 people a day coming up to your doors and say, and they just come and ask for something, not willing to provide for themselves, you don't know who they are from another person. So churches, especially in the areas we are at, set up litmus tests. And if you're not willing to submit to that litmus test, why should they give you something, right? Okay, people take advantage of this. But Paul advises the, Thessalon the Thessalonians, and thus us, because it's in the Bible, to not be duped into this type of thing. He says quite clearly, if anyone will not work, he shall not eat. It is not an optional thing. And Paul actually presents nothing new. Solomon speaks of the, <coughs> excuse me, speaks of the need to be industrious on several occasions, and he tells the sad results of being a lazy Joe in Proverbs 6, verse, verses 6 through 11. Let me take you there. Proverbs 6, okay, give me a second here. We're getting there, 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 8, 7, okay. He says in Proverbs 6, verse 6, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you slumber, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep? A little slumber? A little folding of the hands to sleep? So shall your poverty come on you like a prowler and your need like an armed man. That's just one example of many, many, many that Paul gives us in the Proverbs. In Paul's words, then, there's nothing out of the ordinary, nothing unchristian, and nothing harsh. Rather, there is wisdom, which is intended to, one, get lazy people up off their duffs and out into the world to earn their bread, and two, save industrious people from being seduced by those in category one. That's right. We should... Oh. Yes. No, I'm talking about what Paul says here. Where? Yeah, in Paul's words, then, I'm talking about what Paul says here. I referred to Proverbs, and now I'm explaining that Paul's words are already have a basis. I'm not, yeah, I'm not quoting Solomon still. I'm, Paul is saying what I said in Proverbs, what Paul says is totally in line with it. So, yes, okay. <clears throat> but thank you, because I do that a lot, don't I? Um, uh, to save industrious people from being seduced by those in category one. We should not feel the slightest bit guilty when a person actually has to miss a meal because he spent the day at the beach or whittled his time away on an iPad. Now we're just in time, time to close. Life application for obtaining life prolonging food intake, get to work. That's your life application. You wanna live? Work, eat, okay? Um, all right, we read that, and that's done. And okay, we are ready to go pray out and bail out of this place. Heavenly Father, 
Talk about eating. There is a smell of Thai food in this place right now. Thank you for that. Thank you for how you give us so many different varieties of food. All around the world, we can go and we can have delights of all kinds. And we're so blessed in America where we have many of them right within a few miles of our houses. We have Turkish food and we have Indian food and we have Thai food and we've got Italian food. Lord, we're so blessed. But Lord, let us not take advantage of others. Instead, let us work hard, be industrious, and take care of those who are really needy, who really have a need and provide for their needs according to your wisdom. Lord, help us to do this so that we'll be good examples to others of how to live out a life that is given with bodies that work, with minds that think, and with a word that instructs us to do so. And thank you for this word. Thank you that it tells us of how to live our lives, which is an example, in example of how Jesus would want us to live, our Creator and our Lord. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that we can know you through him, and we praise you and glorify you in his beautiful name. Amen. 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 All right, let me back this up, and we'll say goodbye to these folks. Oh.